Do you need help with your journey following Jesus? Has your Bible reading brought up some interesting questions? Um, I, I need a prayer request. Is I've heard um, pastors talk about you can't get to heaven just with good deeds. I was just wondering what you guys think. Is, the, is there a correlation between the seventh trumpet and Revelations as the last trumpet, or is he talking about some other trumpet? Finally, a place to get answers. We're ready to take your prayer request and answer your Bible questions. Call in at 303-690-3000. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, and I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible. You can call in with your prayer requests. And every weekday, uh, for one hour at a time, we have pastors standing by to pray for those prayer requests live on the air uh, with everybody listening who's able to agree and say yes and amen along with us and lift those needs you have up to the Lord. And we're also here to answer your questions about the Bible. Maybe there's something that you've been reading that you've always been kind of curious about, how to make sense of, something that you've wondered Or maybe you're wondering about a situation in the world and how the Bible speaks into that situation. Or maybe even just a situation in your life. We'd love to hear from you, so give us a call and hopefully we can answer some questions you have or we can pray for the prayer requests that you have uh, needs to pray for. So give us a call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or text us at 720-336-0897. 0897. I want to welcome those of you who are listening in Colorado and into Southern Wyoming on Grace FM. You're hearing the show live today. It is March 25th, beautiful Friday, spring day here in Colorado, where we are broadcasting from. But we have so many listening stations who are part of this Calvary Live listening family, so we want to greet you as well. First of all, I want to greet those who are listening on the Radio by Grace Network, which has stations all over the United States, particularly in the southern U.S., but not only in the southern U.S. Uh, there, I saw the list of stations the other day, and uh, there are stations in Wyoming and other places as well. And so we want to welcome all of you who are listening on Radio by Grace stations. You're also hearing the show live today. We also want to greet those who are listening on Hope FM in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, and Maryland, as well as those listening on Truth FM in Tennessee, and those listening on Higher Rock Radio in Idaho. So you on Hope FM, Truth FM, and Higher Rock Radio, you're hearing the show on a one-week delay. We just want you to know about that and be aware of it, and we don't want it to ever hinder you from participating in the show. And I would just encourage you who are on delay, you know, view that as an opportunity you have to Uh, maybe invite somebody, knowing that you'll be on a week later after you call in, uh, use that opportunity to invite somebody to listen and tune in, and who knows what will happen and how God might use that in their life as they start listening to Christian radio and uh, start listening not only to this show, but the other Bible teaching programs which are on that station. So I also want to encourage those of you, if you are listening live still, we'd love it if you would share the word about uh, Calvary Live and about your local station that you're listening to this on with friends and family. We believe that God's word, as it goes out, it accomplishes that which he sends it to accomplish, and it never comes back void. 
And so we'd love for more and more people to be hearing the word of God through these stations. So it'd be awesome if you would help get the word out about that. If you don't yet have the Grace FM app, I encourage you to get that. And as I say that, I want to welcome those who are listening on our uh, apps, meaning they're listening online, either on the website, gracefm.com, or you're listening on a uh, device like your phone or on your tablet. And we have a lot of people who do that outside of our broadcast over the air range. And so we have listeners literally all over the country and all over the world. And so wherever you're tuning in from today, if you're listening online, we want to make sure to greet you. And uh, if you haven't yet got that app on your phone or your tablet, definitely go and get it. It's a free app. You can just type in Grace FM as one word, and it will come right up on the App Store, Google Play Store, and you can put that on your device and then you can listen anywhere in the world. So again, the number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897 with your Bible questions and your prayer requests. A few words about myself. My name is Nick Cady. I'm the pastor of Whitefields Community Church, which is located in Longmont, Colorado. We are a Calvary Chapel-affiliated church here in this great city. And if you are within driving distance of Longmont, then I would like to personally invite you to join us this Sunday. We are um, gathering, as we do every Sunday, we have three services at 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11 a.m., And at our services, we worship in music and song, and then we study the Bible. That's what we love to do. We love to study through books of the Bible. Currently, we're studying through the Gospel of John. And what's interesting is we're not studying it maybe in like a traditional, you know, uh, um, sequential way. We're actually studying it based on the structure which John built into his Gospel. You know, we call the first three Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, we call them the uh, synoptic gospels, which essentially means a summary of the whole, right? So those gospels seek to give us a summary of all of Jesus' life and ministry and teachings, whereas John's gospel, as the last gospel to be written, John being the last of the disciples who walk with Jesus to die, John goes and he gives us a different take, a different approach to talking about Jesus. He says that His approach is for one purpose, and that is so that you will believe that Jesus is the Christ and that by believing in him, you would have life. And so John bases his gospel on seven signs that Jesus did that show who he is and what he came to do and seven I am statements. And so what we're doing right now, the way we're approaching the gospel of John is that we're looking first in these seven weeks leading up to Easter, we're looking at the seven I am statements that Jesus made, right? Where he said, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd and so on. And we'll culminate with I am the resurrection and the life on Easter Sunday. And then right after that, we'll go into another series looking at the seven signs that John records that Jesus performed, which tell us who he is and what he came to do. And so I'm looking forward to this. I uh, love studying the Gospels, and so that's what we're doing currently at our church. We'd love to have you this Sunday. We'll be looking at John chapter 10, where Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And that's actually a really loaded phrase because of some prophecies in the Old Testament. And I think a lot of people read that and they say, okay, cool. They think about the properties of a shepherd, you know, the characteristics of a shepherd and the characteristics of sheep. 
But then it's really important to remember that in order to understand what Jesus is saying when he says that he's the good shepherd, you have to go back to Jeremiah chapter 23. You have to go back to Ezekiel chapter 34, where Jesus, or sorry, where God chastises the bad shepherds of Israel, the people who were supposed to be shepherding the sheep, but they neglected them or they used and abused them. And God promises there that he will send a good shepherd who will be the Messiah, the son of David. But then he says in Ezekiel 34, that actually the good shepherd will be he himself. So when Jesus says that he is the good shepherd, he is alluding to these promises from the Old Testament and he's saying two things. He's saying, I am the Messiah and I am actually God come to you to save you. And you know what's so amazing to me is this, that Jesus identifies himself as the shepherd. But do you remember what John said about Jesus? John the Baptist said about Jesus when he saw him uh, approaching where John was baptizing in the Jordan River. It says that John looked up and he saw Jesus. This is in the Gospel of John chapter 1. And John the Baptist says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Isaiah 53 verse 6 tells us that God um, laid upon Jesus all of our iniquity, and he, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep before its shearers, he went. And the chastisement that brought us peace, the wounds by which we are healed, they were laid upon him. He was crushed for our iniquities. And it says, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, he did not open his mouth. In other words, it's saying that the, the good shepherd became a sheep. He became the lamb of God for us so that we sheep might know the true shepherd. So anyway, I can't wait to share this message. And if you are within Longmont uh, driving distance, we would love to have you come out if you're in any of the surrounding communities or even if you're just within driving distance of Longmont. We're really uh, conveniently located just off of Highway 119 and uh, we're in between County Line Road and I-25. So just east of the city center of Longmont, right on Highway 119, that main highway that comes into Longmont from I-25. And so we'd love to have you. Our address is 2950 Colorful Avenue in Longmont, Colorado. So that's 2950 Colorful Avenue, but you can always just Google us, Whitefields Church. Just remember that Whitefields is two words, not one, and you should find us pretty easily. You can also visit our website, whitefieldschurch.com, to listen to some of our old messages or to get directions, find out what is going on uh, with our church lately, and we'd love to have you join us. So that's this Sunday, 8 a.m., 9.30, and 11, and our 9.30 and 11 services are also broadcast live on our website if you'd like to join us online. Again, that's whitefieldschurch.com. So let's go to our first caller, Ricardo in Texas. Hi, Ricardo. Welcome to the program. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. What can we do for you? Yes. Uh, I have a question uh, about a, a scripture right here on the Proverbs, um, mm-hmm. chapter 28, verse 9. Okay. You want me to read it? You want to read it? or you, uh, you want I, to... I can read it. Yeah, I'll read it. So Proverbs 28, verse 9, it says, If one turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Okay. Mm-hmm. So are you, are you wondering what this who, who, verse means? 
who do apply this scripture to you, to me, to the Gentiles, to Israelites, or something? Because whoever now obeying the Torah, the law, and give it away, and, and breaking the Shabbat and everything, their, their prayers, then I answer, who explain a little bit to me, you affected. Yeah, no, that's a great question. So the thing to remember about Proverbs that you must keep in mind is that Proverbs are about principles, not hard, fast rules, right? So they're not rules that apply in every case. Let me give you an example. Uh, there's a proverb that says, raise up your child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not depart from it. So the question is, is that a promise from God, or is that a principle which is generally true? The answer is it's a principle. But here's an, another important principle that we have in the Proverbs. If you turn away your ear from hearing the law, that's a, a kind of euphemism, if you will. It's a way of saying that if you stop caring about what God says, right? What God says about right and wrong. In other words, you say what matters is whatever I, I'm going to do, whatever I want to do. I don't care what God thinks. Then don't think that you can pray and that God will treat your prayer, you know, that he will be happy to hear your prayers. He will consider your prayer an abomination. And what this means, what this refers to is people who willingly and knowingly sin and yet they act as if they're a religious person. They still try to do religious stuff, right? So this is speaking to the hypocrite, right? So that's the key here. This is speaking to a person who is what we would call a religious hypocrite and saying, hey, don't think that just because, you know, you go and you do the rituals of religion that you're okay with God. Understand that if you are saying one thing and doing another thing, you know, saying one thing in church and then leaving church and acting a different way, that's an abomination to God. Now, what it doesn't mean, what this verse doesn't mean, is that such a person can never be saved, right? So it's really important that we understand that the Bible gives harsh words to those with hard hearts, and it gives comforting words to those who are broken and contrite of spirit. And so this is speaking harshly, and rightly so, to those who are you know, heart of heart, calloused in heart, right? Those who wantonly sin and then act as if because they do religious rituals or go through the motions that they're okay with God. This is saying, no, don't think that you are. Now, this purpose of this verse, what is it? It's to show us that we are sinners and that we need to repent. We, and repentance has two parts, right? One part is confessing our sin to God. The other part is turning away from our sin. And so we confess our sin, we turn away from it. And the Bible says in 1 John that if we will confess our sin to God, he is faithful and he will cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Does that answer your question, Ricardo? Well, Ricardo, I might have lost you there. So if I did, uh, hey, thanks for calling in. And I, I love the fact that you gave uh, a verse that shows to me that you've been reading your Bible. And so I would just want to encourage you to keep doing that. Keep reading your Bible, keep searching the scriptures, and keep asking questions because that's really good. So, hey, I appreciate your call. And uh, thanks for that question about Proverbs 28, verse 9. You're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call is 
690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. You know, that verse that Ricardo brings up there reminds me a lot of uh, one of my favorite passages in Luke chapter 18, where Jesus, it says this, um, Jesus told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. He says in Luke 18, then verse 10, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. And so that's an interesting thing, because two people prayed, but the one man was kind of patting himself on the back and talking about his own goodness. Right? He was what we would call a spiritual hypocrite, whereas the other man was truly contrite, really asking God, humbling himself before God. And we have these so many promises in the Bible, right? If you humble yourself before God, he will lift you up. He will exalt you. And so if you don't humble yourself before God, then he will make sure to humble you. And so I'd rather humble myself before God with a contrite heart than have to need God to humble me. So that's another uh, important passage in regard to that proverb we looked at just a second ago. All right, so we have all open lines here. You're listening to Calvary Live. Now is a great time to call in. The number is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go over to my uh, the text line. We've got a text that came in. Uh, this person says, uh, Hello, Pastor. I live in Wiggins, Colorado. Um, I am battling stage four cancer, and uh, I have a question, which, by the way, we'll pray for you and your cancer, but this question is, did Jesus miraculously turn six jars of water into wine or just grape juice? I personally believe Jesus turned it into wine uh, with supporting scripture, but I encountered a born-again believer like myself who believed in principle only that Jesus would not turn water into wine because that would have led people into sin from drunkenness, so instead he turned it into grape juice. What do you say? Okay, yeah, so um, I believe that when the Bible says wine, it means wine. I mean, this is how we read the Bible in other cases, right? That when it says something, we don't say, okay, but what it actually meant was this. We have to take the Bible at face value. And actually, you know, what Jesus did when he turned the water into wine is really important. A lot of people don't realize how important it is and why it, it needs to be wine. You know, it says there in John chapter 2, where we read about that, it says that as Jesus did this, this was the first of the signs by which he showed his glory. Now, just a minute ago, I mentioned that John's gospel is built around seven signs and seven statements. So seven I am statements and seven signs that Jesus performed. The first of those was turning water into wine. And you got to wonder, like, you're going to choose your first miracle. Why do that? And 
the reason what's what's really interesting about John's gospel is that John doesn't refer to Jesus' miracles as miracles. John refers to them as signs. And if you think about what a sign does, a sign does something specific. It points to something other than itself. Right? A sign never exists just to talk about itself. A sign points to something else. So what is the thing that this sign, turning water into wine, pointed to? Well, what it pointed to is a prophecy found in the book of Jeremiah that says that when God comes, when God returns, when God comes to his people, right, which we know took place in Jesus in the first coming and will happen again in the second coming, that what will happen is he said, he will prepare a feast for his people, a feast with aged wine. And then he goes on to talk about the other things that will be there for this festival. Now that same passage is then we're reminded of that passage again in Revelation, where we're told that heaven will be called the wedding feast of the Lamb. And so what wine spoke of in that culture was celebration. Jesus did that at a wedding feast. So it was a sign that Jesus has come to fulfill the prophecy, right, as the Messiah, that when God would come to his people, then he would usher in, if you will, the wedding feast of the Lamb, the greatest party that will never last, right? When everybody thought the party was over, Jesus made more wine so that the party could continue. So the point is Jesus brings festival joy to his people, and he will do that without end in the age to come. That was the purpose of it. But was it real wine or just grape juice? I have no reason to think it was grape juice. It might not have been strong wine like we drink today, But probably it was strong wine because it says there that the wine Jesus made was better than the average wine that people would give at that stage in the wedding. And so, again, we have no reason to believe uh, anything but what the Bible tells us directly. Now, that gets to the question, was Jesus encouraging drunkenness? I would say absolutely not. I mean, that scriptures very clearly forbid drunkenness. But the thing is about wine, right? You're able to drink it in moderation without drunkenness. And I would also argue that I think that learning moderation is the definition of maturity, right? If we always just take things away from people because we're afraid that they might use them in immoderate ways, we're not encouraging them towards maturity. What we want to do is help people to have discernment and maturity which includes moderation in things which taken to abuses would be sinful. But thank you for your question. It's a good one. And let me pray for you before we go. Heavenly Father, I pray for uh, my brother or sister in Wiggins who has stage four cancer. Lord, I pray for healing in their life. Lord, if it is your will, I ask that you would take this cancer from them and that you would do it to your glory and for their good. And Lord, Whatever your plan is for this person's life, Lord, I pray that they would be contented in knowing that their times are in your hands and that you love them and that there is hope in the gospel because of your resurrection beyond this life. So we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. I'm here with you today taking your calls and texts live on the air. Today is March 25th. It is a Friday, and we are live today, so I would love to hear from you. It looks like we've got all open lines still at this point and an all open text line. So give me a call and um, 
text me. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text me at 720-336-0897. Well, as we wait for those uh, calls and texts to come in, and I I do have a few other questions uh, that have come in in the meantime, which we can get to here in a minute. Um, But I just want to tell you about something that I've been up to lately, and that is that I wrote a book. My book is called The God I Won't Believe In, Facing Nine Common Barriers to Embracing Christianity. It's available online wherever books are sold, and it's available in some church bookstores as well. It's available here at our church, in our church bookstore. Um, It's going to be available soon at the uh, Calvary Church Bookstore in Aurora. And it will be available at some others and through some distribution lines as well. But if you want to get one now, you can always go to my website or you can search wherever you buy books online. Uh, my website is nickkady.org, N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y dot O-R-G. And there's a tab there at the top of the page which says book. If you click on that, you can see a preview of what the book's about. Um, basically, this is a book that was born out of a sermon series we did a few years ago called I Could Never Believe in a God Who. And what we did is we took a poll. And in fact, I I talked about it here on the radio show. This was three years ago now. I talked about it. And many of you responded, uh, filled out the poll. And based on that poll, we said, okay, here are the top things that people would say, you know, this is what I struggle with most when it comes to believing in God or in embracing what the Bible says about Jesus. And so we narrowed it down to, originally it was seven topics, but then we got it down to uh, nine because we saw that people were asking even more questions that we wanted to answer. So each chapter in the book begins with the phrase, I could never believe in a God who, and so here are the chapters, "I, I could never believe in a God who hasn't proven his existence, or chapter two, who gave us a faulty Bible, Uh, Chapter three, a God who condoned genocide in the Old Testament. That's a question that a lot of people wonder about and struggle with. Another one is this, and this is maybe the most popular of all of the the topics we brought up, was I could never believe in a God who creates hateful and hypocritical followers. You know, how is it that if these are the kinds of people Christianity creates, then how can Christianity actually be true or good? So we answer that question. Then another one is a God who suppresses women and minorities. Many people struggle with that question. Uh, How about a God who sends people to hell or a God who says that some love is wrong or even just a God who lets bad things happen to good people or to make a personal God who doesn't answer my prayers. So we answer all of these topics in this book and I share a lot of personal stories in it. Um, It's been in the works for quite some time and it's now available. I'd love it if you'd check it out. Uh, what we've been encouraging people here at our church to do is maybe grab a couple copies, and that way you can uh, share them with somebody else. The target audience for the book would be people who are, on the one hand, struggling with these issues themselves. Now, you might be a Christian, or maybe you're not a Christian, but maybe you're struggling with these questions. Another person who would benefit from this book is a person who maybe have kids or coworkers or neighbors who ask these kinds of questions and you just want to be prepared so that you can know how to answer them when those questions come up. So we'd love for you to check that out. Again, it's available on my website, nickkady.org, 
or you can check it out wherever books are sold. Looks like we have some more callers who have called in, some text messages that have come in in the meantime. We're going to get to those in just a second, but in the right before that, we have come up to our mid-show break. So I'll give you the number to call one more time, and then we're going to be going to our two-minute break here at the middle of the show, and we'll get to Rick in Bennett, Colorado, and Anderson in Memphis, Tennessee, right after the break. The number to call, 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897 with your prayer requests and with your questions about the Bible. Um, And there's the music, which means that we've come up on our mid-show break. Um, Again, my name is Nick Cady, pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. You're listening to Calvary Live. Uh, Give us a call with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests, and we will be right back in two minutes' time. Welcome back to Calvary Live. Give us a call at 303-690-3000 or text us at 720-336-0897. Let's join Calvary Live right now. Good afternoon. Welcome back to Calvary Live. This is a show where you can call in with your questions about the Bible and your prayer requests. The number to call is 303-690-3000. Looks like we have all full lines right now. So text us at 720-336-0897 or whenever you hear someone drop or a call end, you that's a chance for you to call in with your question. Let's go to Rick in Bennett, Colorado. Hi, Rick. Welcome to the program. Oh, hello. Yeah, um, thank you. I was just wondering, how did um, at, or Satan get his power back and how did and become um, basically this, you know, for, from Adam to become the kingdom of, um, you know, of Satan's. Yeah. So um, it's a, it's an interesting question and it's a question of, uh, when did that take place and how did it take place? So here's what we know. We know that in the beginning there was only God, right? God existed from eternity past. And then at one point, God not only created the world, we're also told that God created angels. Now here's what we know from the book of Job that God actually created the angels before he created the world, because it says in the book of Job that as God created the world, the angels watched and they shouted for joy, which is just such a, such a cool picture, right? Like you're just watching this host of angels, just like watching with bated breath as God is doing each thing on each day of creation, creating the world, speaking it into existence. And every time God does something, they just erupt with cheering, Well, we know that at some point in this process, right, perhaps it was um, during the creation, perhaps it was after the creation was finished, what we know is that during this period, before Adam sinned, but after uh, God created the angels and God created the world. So after God created the world, but before Adam sinned, at some point, we know that Satan, whose name is Lucifer, which means light, that Satan uh, fell from heaven. And the reason he fell was because he um, sought to dethrone God and insert himself in God's place. And so let's start with the first part of this. We, We know that 
from creation, Satan was given by God a lot of power and authority. And then Satan fell and somehow retained some of that power, spiritual power as a spiritual being, and then led many other angels astray. So we know that a one-third of the angels followed him in this rebellion. We read about that in the book of Revelation. So all that to say, where did he get his power? Well, it was part of creation, the creation of the angels. And another part is you have to say on some level that uh, he was he is allowed to have this power by God because nothing happens apart from God permitting it. So um, that would be the answer to that. Okay, okay. Now, another thing I was going to ask you, it was just a thought I had too, because is, is it possible that basically when um, Adam betrayed God um, and took the word of Satan over God um, and took up the tree you know, with, with Eve first, um, is it that, could that be part of it that he basically bowed to um, Satan and gave his kingship over to him? I'm not sure I would use those exact terms, but I'm not sure that you're wrong either. So uh, I would, I, here's the terminology I would use. I would say this, Satan, here's what Satan did. He tempted Adam by lying to him. So he deceived him and he tempted him. And Adam of his free volition chose to rebel against God and fall into the temptation of Satan. And so by doing so now, to answer your question, did he hand over the title deed of the earth, if you will, over to Satan? To that answer, to that question, I would say yes. I think that is what happened because throughout the Bible, particularly in the New Testament, Satan is referred to as the prince of the power of the air, and he's even referred to by Jesus as the god of this world. And so what that means is that he is, uh, he has authority over this world in some unique way. Now, the the story of the gospel, I love how N.T. Wright puts it. N.T. Wright says that the story of Jesus' uh, life, death, resurrection, and ascension is essentially the story of how God became king. In other words, how God took back his rightful position as king over the world. And so one of the words we use for this is what we call initiated eschatology. And that, that sounds like a lot of words, but it's really just simple. It means initiated means it has already happened, and yet it hasn't happened yet in fullness. So is God now king and lord over the, the earth? Has he dethroned Satan from whatever authority Satan might have had? The answer is yes. And yet Satan is still present. He hasn't yet been cast into the lake of fire. And so we would say the one of the terms we use a lot in theological you know, discussions will say uh, the kingdom of God is already, but it is not yet. Right. So the kingdom of God is that realm over which God has authority. Is that here? Yes, it's here already because of what Jesus accomplished. And yet it is not here yet in fullness. So it's here in part, but not in fullness. And one of the things we see in Revelation is that Jesus opens this scroll and it says there that you remember chapter five, it says there was great weeping in heaven because no one was able, no one was found who was able to open the scroll and loose its seals. What is that scroll? What are the seals? It's referring to, if you will, the title deed for the earth. 
and it's showing that Jesus has come to take back the title deed of the earth um, and and to take possession of the world and to defeat Satan once and forever. Okay, okay. All right, that, that makes a lot of sense, definitely. It, it just, like I say, it's just a thought, and it's kind of, you know, it, it, just how bad it was, you know, when he basically took the word of, you know, Satan over the word of God, and, uh, you know, a pretty bad betrayal, definitely. For sure. Um, it's, it's a terrible thing. So, um, anyways, I sure do appreciate it, um, um, your answer and stuff. That gives me a little bit of, because I've just i been kind of wondering about that. It's something that popped in my head. So, yeah. Well, I'll give you one, one last thought on it, and that's this. That if you look at how Satan tempted um, and deceived Adam, it's actually the same way that Satan generally operates now, which is that he tells lies about God. And one of the lies he tells is that God is trying to keep you back or withhold from you something that you would enjoy and that would be good for you. And that's so often how temptation and the lies of the enemy work. They, he, he attacks the character of God and says, you know, God isn't really loving. God doesn't really have your best interest in mind. God isn't really going to do this for you like he said he would. So I think whenever you hear those kinds of thoughts in your head that say what the Bible says is not true about God, you can know easy that that is yeah. from, from the enemy, from Satan. Yeah, they're, they're talking to you and trying to mess you up, definitely. Okay. Yeah, um, and that's what, you know, it's kind of like, a, you know, in the garden when he, he was tempting God and stuff, and he said he'd give him everything. Yes. Hold on a second. I'm sorry about that. Um, one second. Uh, in the garden, he was tempted and said he'd give him everything if he would bow to him. I kind of wondered on that if, if basically he'd be, he would give him everything, but then if Jesus bowed to him, that Jesus would have just given it right back to him. Yeah. Well, and I just had someone text in. I'm just going to mention okay, your text Okay, I'll let you here. go, and I appreciate it. Well, it's it's in regard to what we've been talking about. They said an example of initiated eschatology, like I just mentioned, is when David was anointed king by God, right? And the prophet Samuel. And yet he had to wait for almost 20 years for Saul to die and that he could actually take the throne. That's pretty interesting, I think. It's a good example in the Bible of David, you know, being a precursor, a foreshadowing of the son of David, Jesus Christ, and that whole idea of initiated eschatology. So thanks for the call. Really appreciate it. Good, thoughtful. I sure do appreciate your answers. Thank you. All right, bye-bye. And God bless you. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. Let's go to our next caller, Anderson in Memphis, Tennessee. Anderson, welcome to the program. Thank you. What can we do for you? I have a, a prayer request. Uh, it's, it's for my family, but mainly for my daughter who has um, left her family, uh, her child and her husband, um, for another gentleman, and my prayer request is for her to stop doing what she's doing and return to her family. Mm, okay, let's pray for that. Heavenly Father, we pray for Anderson's daughter, uh, who has walked out on her family and gone to be with someone else. And Lord, we pray just now, we pray, we know nothing is impossible for you, God. We remember that you are the God who stopped Saul in his tracks when he was on his way to, to Damascus to persecute believers. And so, Lord, we ask in that same way, Lord, that you would stop Anderson's daughter 
from what she's doing. Just we ask, intervene in that situation. Lord, we thank you that um, we know that we all like sheep have gone astray, but Lord, you are the good shepherd who pursues those who have gone astray. And uh, we thank you for that, Lord, that you seek us even when we're not seeking you. And I ask, Lord, uh, just we just beseech you on behalf of Anderson's daughter that you would intervene and that you would pursue her daughter and bring her back to you. And we pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Anderson, thank you for calling in. And um, I know that a lot of people are listening to this and praying for your daughter. So we truly hope that she'll come back to her family and come back to the Lord. Thanks thank for calling you. in. All right, bye-bye. Hey, you're listening to Calvary Live. This is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We're taking your calls and texts live on the air. We have two open lines. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720-336-0897. Let's go to our next caller, Pat in Greeley, Colorado. Hi, Pat. Welcome to the program. Hey, Pastor Nick. Hope all is well with you. Absolutely. Yeah, good to hear from you. What's up? Pastor, I was listening to uh, Jack Bieland earlier this today on Grace mm-hmm. FM, and he was speaking about Jesus' letter to Laodicea. And he was speaking about, uh, Jesus said, I wish you were either hot or cold, but since you're neither, you're lukewarm, I want to spit you out of my mouth. And he, he, the reason, how he explained it, he said, the reason why Jesus wanted them to be hot or cold is it's easier to reach people who are cold and it's easier to reach people who are hot. It's more difficult to reach people who are lukewarm because they think they're okay. Mm-hmm. So now that's the way he presented it. Because of the geography, and uh, John knew that geography, my understanding of that passage was when Jesus says, I wish you were hot or cold, hot and cold are both good. Hot for me, like the springs of Heropolis. Cold for me, like Colossae. Uh, because both of those places were looked at as soothing places. The Heropolis was looked at uh, as uh, the heat, the springs, it was soothing to the body and healing. And Colossae was known for their cold water, and we all know what happens when you jump in cold water. You become alive and excited. And, and uh, So I always, when I teach, I always teach it in that manner, that it it's exhilarating. I wish you were hot or cold, but since you're neither, because why would Jesus ever wish that someone would be cold towards him? Mm-hmm. I don't think that's ever God's wish. So I'm interested in your take. Yeah, no, it's a great, great point. And uh, I tend to agree with you. I, I used to probably lean more towards the idea that, um, you know, he'd rather you be hot, meaning like on fire for the Lord, or that you would be cold, meaning that you would just kind of be in one camp or the other, right? Be either totally against the Lord or totally for him. But that you're right. That doesn't make any sense, right? Like, why would he want you to be cold in relation to him, meaning that you had zero relationship with him? Um, I do know this, that the lukewarmness for sure speaks of the same thing, however we understand the hot and the cold. But I tend to agree with you that the cold water can refresh and aliven. You know, you think about cold drinking water or things like that. Um, lukewarm water uh, also tends to breed bacteria. This is another 
you know, thing I would bring about if I was going to explain this, that, um, you know, it's one thing we, we were just in Steamboat Springs this past week and, you know, they have these really hot, hot springs and right next to the hot springs is this cold river. So you can dip in the cold river and you can get in the hot water, but you know, what's really dangerous is lukewarm water because lukewarm water will, um, it's not hot enough to kill bacteria. And it's not cold enough that prevents bacteria from growing. And it actually can make you really sick if you drink. So you can drink hot water and you can drink cold water. But if you drink lukewarm water, especially at a, back in the day, you know, back in the ancient times, you have, like think about drinking, you know, warm pond water. I mean, that's just, you're going to get sick, really sick. And so uh, I think that that's another way of understanding this. But I think the geography of that place probably lends itself to this. So clearly, Hot water's good, and in the example he's using, it seems that cold water is also good. So I would be in agreement with you on this one. The lukewater for sure speaks of um, being uh, kind of, I guess, hypocritical, uh, pretend Christian, right? Somebody who is neither fish nor fowl, we might say, right? You're kind of like in between. And I would just add that other point that lukewarm water is dangerous, um, and now we know with our modern biology, it's dangerous because it breeds bacteria and sickness. All right. Thank you so much for that, Pastor. It's always a pleasure listening to you. And uh, I hope to visit your church soon. Uh, oh. I'm in Greeley, so it'll be a little hike. But I know exactly where you guys are. And it's my hope to uh, visit one of your Sunday services. Oh, Pat, if you do, make sure to come up and say hi. I'd love to meet you in person. I would definitely do that. It would be my pleasure as well. Sounds good. All right. Take care take and have care, a great Nick. day. Bye-bye. Right, hey, listening to Calvary Live, this is Pastor Nick Cady from Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado, taking your calls and texts live on the air. The number to call is 303-690-3000. That's 303-690-3000. Or you can text us at 720 336 Zero eight nine seven. We've got two open lines, so a good time to call in, 303-690-3000. Probably a good amount of time for at least two, three more calls and some text messages, so hope to hear from you. Let's go to our next caller, Joseph in Wheat Ridge, Colorado. Hi, Joseph. Welcome to the program. Pastor Gady, it's good to hear your voice. Uh, apologize. <laughs> I am in a car wash, so... <laughs> um, but, um, so... You know, I listened to you before, and you told me sometimes Bible verses should not take them literally. So, you know, the rapture. Mm -hmm. I, I apologize, I don't have the Bible verse, but, you know, the Bible verse says, you know, one one person will be taken, the other left. One person taken, the other left. So does that mean that half of our population will be taken? Yeah, so... um uh, sorry that we caught you right when you're in the car wash. I know that sometimes people are on hold for a while and sometimes we take you right away. So um, uh, if I understood your question correctly, Joseph, you were asking, you know, how do we know which Bible verses should be taken literally and which should be taken figuratively? And the answer to that is that whenever it's possible, we want to take what the Bible says literally. But here, here's our guide. Our goal is to read the Bible as it's meant to be understood. And so when we, whenever we read a passage, we want to not impose literalness on something where literalist, literalness is not implied or not intended by the author and by God, right? So for example, 
uh, when God says, I am a shepherd and you are sheep, he's not saying he's a literal shepherd and that we are literal sheep. That's clear, right, from the passage, that that is to be understood figuratively, right? It's a simile or a metaphor. But in other cases, when it speaks figuratively, or sorry, when it speaks literally, it is meant to be taken literally. We had a question earlier asking when it says that Jesus turned water into wine, did he turn it into literal wine? Well, the answer is yes, because he's talking about literal water and literal wine. He was at a literal wedding feast. And so whenever possible, our goal is to understand the Bible literally, not for the sake of taking it literally, but always for the sake of understanding it as it's meant to be understood. And that's not always easy, but in many cases it is. So when Jesus says that two people will be in a field and one will be taken and another will be left, that's what it means, right? So it means what it says. The question is, what, what exactly does that mean? Where was that person taken to? Who were they taken by? And is this a reference to what some people call the rapture? Now, the best way to understand our doctrines in the Bible, like what the Bible teaches, is we try to see what the Bible teaches, and there will be a cohesion between Old Testament, New Testament. And so what we look for, one of the best ways to build a doctrine is, okay, is it taught in the Old Testament? You know, is it uh, taught? Is it taught by Jesus? Is it uh, then taught by the apostles in the New Testament? And if possible, right, does it appear also in Revelation? So we want to see it in all these different facets. And what I would say is that I do believe that the doctrine of the rapture is taught in the Old Testament. It's mentioned by Jesus, and it's taught by the apostles in the New Testament, and it's also mentioned in Revelation. So it's ticking all the boxes, which means that that creates for us what we call a hermeneutic. Hermeneutic simply means a lens through which we read the scripture. So if we have something that's taught here and there, it's taught in all these different places, then when we come to passages that are a little more obscure, right, like this passage in Luke where it says that one will be taken, another will be left. Well, again, who will they be taken by? Where will they be taken to? And, you know, how do we understand that? Well, if we have this lens or hermeneutic that already says, well, we believe because of all these other passages that teach it in different ways, that this is something that's going to happen, then we interpret that passage, which seems less clear, in light of the passages which are more clear. Now, that's a lot of words to just basically say this. If you look at the book of Genesis, you'll see a principle. Before God sends temporal judgment upon the earth, he removes his own. Okay, so think about this. Noah and the ark, God is bringing a temporal judgment as opposed to an eternal judgment, right? So he's bringing a temporal judgment on the earth and he removes Noah and his family before he judges those on the earth. And he also gave an invitation to anybody who was willing to repent and, and be saved. They could have, but they didn't. Okay, then we have another example in Genesis where God is going to judge the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. It says, why? For their pride, right? That's what it tells us in the book of Isaiah. And then it says that before he did that, he removed Lot and his family from the city. And it tells us in Hebrews chapter 11 that Lot was a righteous man, even though he doesn't appear very righteous in the book of Genesis. So there we have this principle of God not judging the righteous with the wicked 
in temporal judgments, right? We, we have um, other examples of that. And then we go into the New Testament where we have Jesus speaking. Then we have Paul the Apostle saying, you know, God is going to rapture you or catch you up out of this world, comfort each other with these words. And then we come to the book of Revelation, chapter 4, verse 1, where it says, after these things, right, meaning after the age of the church, after these things, I was caught up, right? I, and I saw the Lord in his throne. So what John's experiencing there is what's taught about elsewhere in the Bible, which is that there's coming a future rapture of the church before God judges the world in what's called the Great Tribulation. So I hope that answers your question, Joseph, but also gives you some tools for interpreting the Bible and knowing which verses are meant to be taken literally and which are not. But I'll tell you this, you know, biblical interpretation is, is um, it's not like a simple, straightforward, easy thing. It's something that we wrestle through and we need to do uh, theology in community with other people. But I just want to say thank you. And one last thing, um, I believe it was you, Pastor, but um, in the past shows you said like, um, you get like suggestions of movies and I think you mentioned a movie called Gattaca and you um, mentioned the movie, The Messenger of Joan of Arc with Mia Jolovich. Was that you? Yeah, no, that was definitely not me. And that, oh, yeah. Okay. So. Well, well, uh, somebody was talking about something, and, and somebody mentioned that movie, those those movies, and I got it from the library. So, good stuff. Cool. All right. Well, hey, um, thank you for your question. God bless you. Keep seeking the Lord and reading His Word. All right. Hey, we're going to go over to our text line and do a couple rapid fire questions uh, with Joseph's question about movies that I recommend that leads in well to this text question. How do I feel about the chosen series? Okay. Um, I actually, this is why I say it leads into what, or leads out from what Joseph asked. I don't actually watch uh, TV or series. So I have heard about the chosen series. I have not watched it. I'm probably not going to watch it just because I'm just not, I'm more of a reader than a watcher. Um, I've heard good things. I've also heard some people who have some concerns about the production of it and how it took place, um, you know, with uh, some relationship with the Mormon church. But again, I haven't watched it, so it's hard for me to make a judgment on it. Um, so yeah, I'll just pass on that one. Uh, someone else said, my brother is gay. He says he's a follower of Jesus, but I wonder if he can be saved when he is living in unrepentant sin and his lifestyle does not show Jesus is his Lord. What do you think? Man, that is a big issue and probably one that we can't cover fully in the time that we have left in the show. But I will tell you this, um, the question really comes down to, you know, nowadays when somebody says that they're gay, it, it needs to be clarified. What do you mean by that? So there's two ways that people can mean that. One one person will say, I'm gay. And what they mean is that I'm attracted to people of the same sex. And therefore, because of my attraction, I identify as gay. Um, that has become more and more popular, particularly since the 1990s. Prior to that, if you said you were gay, it meant that you uh, did gay actions, right? Meant, meant that you engaged in homosexual sex. And so the question would be, if your brother is engaging in homosexual sexual activities, then the Bible clearly says that that is sin. In fact, Paul says there in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, if you look at the Greek text, he actually addresses both the active and the passive partner in the sexual act. And so it's very clear, and Christians have believed for 2,000 years 
that this is exactly what it's saying as they've read the text. And so um, can he be saved? I'll tell you this. I'm really glad that it's not up to me to decide who's saved and who's not. Um, and I, I hear you asking if he can truly be saved. Um, I, I guess here's what I would say. I don't think that a person who's living in unrepentant open sin is saved. Uh, not that they can't be saved, but I don't think they are saved. But anybody who's willing to repent of their sin, which means repentance, by the way, it means changing your actions and confessing your sins. And so I would say, you know, there's a really big detriment nowadays and that there's a move towards wanting to change 2,000 years of Christian theology to become affirming and say, actually, you know, everybody else who came before us was wrong about this, and now now we're going to redefine it. I think that that's really dangerous. It's also just not, doesn't have much, uh, I would say, integrity when it comes to, you know, intellectual integrity as it comes to uh, biblical interpretation. And so I would say, let's pray for your brother that he would truly repent. Now, if on the other hand, he means that he's gay only in the sense that he's attracted, but doesn't act upon that attraction, I don't think that that itself is a sin, rather it's the rebellion against God's design that is the sin. So um, let's pray for your brother. Heavenly Father, we pray for this person's brother. We ask that you bring clarity uh, to him, and Lord, that truly he would repent and believe in you, Jesus. We pray in that in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you've been listening to Calvary Live. My name is Nick Cady, pastor of Whitefields Community Church in Longmont, Colorado. We'd love to have you join us this Sunday. Check us out for directions and everything else on our website, whitefieldschurch.com. I'll be with you again next Friday for Calvary Live. God bless you and have a great weekend. You've been listening to Calvary Live. Tune in next time for prayer and God's Word.